This morning, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. In our previous study, we read how Paul the Apostle exhorted the church, remember, not to look at the outward appearance when making spiritual decisions. And that's a great thing for all of us to take to heart. If I need to make a spiritual decision, I need to be seeking the Lord. I cannot just take it at face value. It might look good, seem good, feel good, taste good, but if it's not what the Lord has for us, we don't want it. And we cannot make important spiritual decisions leaning on our own understanding. Because what can meet the eye can be really a lot different than what's happening in the spiritual realm. And now, Paul will continue to teach and to explain to the Corinthian Christians regarding the dangers of the enemy working in the church. Yes, let me say this again. Satan works in the church if he can. And he'll deceive people. And you know he might come full you know, with a full blatant attack on the outside, but he loves to in secret and very quietly work in the church from the inside. Now, that which protects both the outside attack and the internal attack is God's Word. And when we take it to this foundational truth, asking ourselves this question, what does God's Word say about this? We will never go wrong. Ever. It's when we start saying, how do I feel about this? Or what do I think about this? Or what do you think about it? How do you feel? No, what does God's Word say? That is the authority for the life of the Christian. That we look to God's Word. For the church, what does God's Word say? We will never go wrong. Because there are people that say things such as, you know, I don't feel that God should have those types of holy standards. You know, I don't really know how I like what the Bible says about this hot, social, controversial topic. You know, if that's the place that you're in, you're toast. You're done. Because that's where Satan likes to maneuver. You've started leaning on your own understanding or your own emotions uh, for determining uh, what is right and what is wrong and not leaning upon God's Word. This is how Christians get in trouble. If you look back on your life and you think, yeah, I remember getting into a difficult spot, I can guarantee you it's because you didn't ask yourself, what does God's Word say about this? Or if you did, you went and did whatever you wanted to anyway. See, when we do not lean on the power of God's Word, we lose the power that we have because the Holy Spirit moves in us, moves through God's Word. When we reject God's Word, we reject the power of the Holy Spirit because God's Word is living and it's powerful. See, with the Corinthians now in our text this morning, with the Corinthians, instead of focusing on that which was powerful, that which needs to be done for the kingdom of God, and how really the Corinthians, how they as a church fit into that plan, Paul now has to address really things that are a distraction meant to pervert the body of Christ. The enemy, I don't know if you've realized this in your own life, but you should really understand this this morning. The enemy loves to distract you from whatever it is that God is calling you to do. He wants you to be sidetracked. He would love for Vision City Church. Satan would love for the church in general to be caught up in compromise by just drifting a little bit at a time from what God's Word says. And so when we read Paul opening up in verse 1, asking them to bear with him with some foolishness, it's really a pity. It really is that these type of foolish things have been allowed to permeate the way the Corinthian Christians are thinking. They're not thinking clearly. However, 
With that being said, I have to say it's nicer to learn from other people's mistakes and not my own. And so if we can learn from what these guys did and not repeat them, then I would say that's a win for us. That's my prayer for our church. That we would never get caught up with an attitude that is contrary to the type of perspective that we should have when it comes to issues that we face. A biblical worldview is what we need. And so point number one, and we only have two this morning, point number one, I have entitled, Beware of Other... Ready? Gospels. Beware of other Gospels. Okay, listen to this. Point number one, verse number one now. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. And indeed, you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Paul's mission in life was to see people come to know Jesus personally as their Lord and Savior. This was Paul's high calling to preach the Gospel, to equip the church to do the work of the ministry. Now when he says, I have a godly jealousy, or when he's jealous for you, this is an important thing for us to understand. Ungodly jealousy is self-focused. No, you hurt me. You didn't spend enough time with me. I don't deserve to be treated like this or whatever. See, godly jealousy has nothing to do with your personal benefit, but rather the well-being of the other person. Meaning that if the Corinthian Christians were turning aside from the true Gospel by following false teachers, Paul would have a godly jealousy to warn them against such things. Against such things. Not because it hurt his feelings, but rather because it was going to lead them. If they continued down that path, it was going to lead them to destruction. I don't want to see anything happening to my kids. Now listen, from me, if you decided to go to a church that was teaching heresy, I would warn you against that. I would tell you, hey man, watch out for this. You know, you're your own person. You make your own decisions. But I'm telling you, this, this place is known for whatever it may be known for. And maybe you just respond that you, want to be, uh, that you don't want me to be in charge of you. And you don't even know what I'm talking... You say, you don't even know what you're talking about, Gary. Stop trying to tell me what to do, man. I'm like, hey, I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I'm just giving you a heads up about this kind of thing. I, uh, uh, and maybe you're like, you know what, finally, I don't want you in charge of me. You don't know what you're talking about. And really, I just think that you don't want me at your church. Listen, I've said since the beginning of our church that whether you're here at this church or somewhere else, go to a church that teaches you God's Word and that challenges you. Someone that will teach you what God's Word says and has an emphasis upon that. And if it's not here, find another church that does. That would be my encouragement to you. Because the best way to determine the best way to follow Jesus is by reading and studying the Bible. God is a jealous God in that He refuses to share you with anyone else because our choice to reject God leads to our destruction. So don't defile yourself with the things of this world even if you hear them in church. In church. Now, there are certain, this is probably not news to any of you, but there are certain popular pastors that are great, uh, great communicators, but they teach in such a manner that a non-Christian hears it as self-help, but then somebody that knows the Bible can read between the lines and pick out biblical principles from them. See, Paul was reluctant to speak of his authority like we touched on last week, but that he'd rather not have to waste time. 
about who's in charge, but rather he'd be busy about preaching the gospel. But now he's been placed in this difficult position where he has to lay down some ground rules. Paul Paul says he brought them to a place of being united with Christ. He uses the word betrothed like they were engaged. We know that the church is the bride of Christ. He says, I brought you to a place to be committed to Jesus. And And what... God has brought together, let no man separate. Especially, let no man separate an individual's relationship with the Lord. But he says in verse 3, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. How did the serpent deceive Eve? By getting her to look at the physical. The physical appearance of the forbidden fruit. It looked good. Also, the serpent led Eve to question what God really said. Did God really say that? So what are we seeing here with Eve? Paul is trying to let them understand that's exactly what's happening with them. See, lean on your own understanding of what you see and what you think and then question what God says in His Word. Eve made a spiritual decision in the flesh and it cost her dearly. See, emotions, opinions, and deceptions complicate things, but the Word of God helps us to rightly divide the truth from what is a lie. What does God's Word say? The simplicity that is in Christ is found, I think, very nicely summarized Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. Sometimes, We have a difficulty wrapping our heads around how simple it is for us to be forgiven of our sins and to have a relationship with the God of the universe. It just seems like it's too simple. I need to earn it. I need to do something else. Are you serious? All I have to do is is just put my faith in Jesus? Simple doesn't mean that it doesn't cost anything. Simple doesn't mean that it's not serious. See, what Jesus endured on the cross enabled us to be where we're at today. Where we have a personal relationship with the Lord. And there are those that make their way into the church that teach the opposite of what God's Word says or they add or they take away from what God's Word says. This is what's happening in Corinth. There are false teachers that are coming into the church. They're trying to say Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. So thus Paul is having to say, wait a second, I'm the one that originally shared the Gospel with you. I'm the one that taught you God's Word. I hate to have to take the time to lay down these, like I said, some ground rules as far as who is the spiritual authority, but it is necessary now, and I've been placed in a difficult position where you need to bear with a little foolishness where I lay down what is right and what is wrong and who actually has the spiritual authority in the church, especially, particularly with Corinth. And he says in verse 4, For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached... Or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. Are there different gospels in the world? Yes. Are there different gospels from what we see in God's Word? Yes. They could be called another testament. They could be called another gospel. Another revelation. Are there different spirits in the world? Yes, absolutely. Someone had infiltrated the church in Corinth and began to teach another Jesus. A different Jesus. 
Years ago, you saw this on the news probably, there was a man in Florida that was claiming to be Jesus. He was God come back. And uh, come to find out, his name was Jesus and he wasn't the Jesus of the Bible at all. He was a different Jesus. 1 John 4.1 says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Hey, I'll teach you about Jesus. Hey, I'll teach you about God. Hey, I'll share with you what the Bible says. But they never open it. Galatians 1.8, Paul said, but even if we are an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. He said, even if an angel from heaven. And we'll get to that in just a moment. The Corinthian Christians were getting themselves into a bad spot because their thinking was not being led by the Holy Spirit, nor was it being checked against God's Word. So that's for you and for me. What does God's Word say? Oh, that seems too simple. I think I need to look at the variables and the exponential. No, listen, what does God's Word say? What does God's Word say? You remember last week, they critiqued Paul for what he looked like. Oh, he had a bald head and his eyebrows met in the middle and he had a hooked nose and all this. He looks like this feeble guy that doesn't know what he's talking about or whatever. And they critiqued him on his outward appearance. What about Jesus? He was God and He humbled Himself. Why would it be such a strange thing that Paul, a follower of Jesus, would choose to be humble before God and the people he was ministering to, not promoting himself? Remember, meekness is not to be confused with weakness. I think we, we touched that a couple weeks ago. And as Paul asked the church to bear with him in explaining his position, he says in verse 5, For I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles, which these men that were false teachers that had come into the church were calling themselves. He says, even though I am untrained in speech, yet I am not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. Guys, you know me. You've seen me. We spent time together. You've seen my life in action firsthand. This is what he says, what he means when he's saying it thoroughly manifested to you. You've seen me day in and day out. Thoroughly manifested in your presence was the type of person that I am. And the men that you consider eminent. And many commentators and scholars, you know, on this passage believe to be those that came into the church claiming authority over the believers. He's saying. Paul's saying, I'm not inferior to them. Untrained in speech. You might think, well, how can he communicate the Gospel so effectively if he's untrained in speech? It could literally mean that he wasn't an entertainer according to Greek standards. That they would you know, embellish and, 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 and entertain. Ladies and gentlemen of the most highest degree of intellect in all of the land and, all, you know, and, and try to really entertain the crowd. Paul seems to be more concerned with informing, informing them with the truth than entertaining them. Also, in the culture of the day, you can file this one away, if a speaker was a good speaker, he would never leave a speaking engagement without asking for money for his speaking. He would charge. And this kind of was a way of signifying, hey, I am the real deal, so I charge you for coming to speak. And if you didn't receive money, then the audience would label that speaker not worth hearing. And so that was an issue because Paul would never charge people to hear the Gospel. He would never preach for money. 
But these men came into the church that were fleecing the flock of God and seeking to lead the church astray. I mean, you look at some of these televangelists over the year, like now they popped up as spoofs and memes on Instagram, and you're like, who in the world are these guys? They were real people. You know, making up all these kind of crazy things to get people to send them money. It's ridiculous. And so he says in verse 7, did I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? Was that wrong? That I didn't charge you to tell you what God's Word says? I mean, none of you bought a ticket to come in today. And that's good. Paul made it his goal to never hinder the work of the Lord by preaching the Gospel for money. He didn't charge to teach the Bible. You know, occasionally, sometimes, you know, there are seasons that are more busy than, than others, I'll get invited to speak at a conference or go speak at, you know, another church or whatever. I don't ask them, hey, how much are you going to pay me for that? I don't ask them, hey, what's your budget look like? And I'll consider, you know, speaking at your church. I mean, the Lord takes care of my needs, and I would never say to someone that said, we can't give you anything, I can't come and speak. I learned a long time ago that I pray about those extracurricular opportunities, those ministry opportunities, and I do them if the Lord leads me to do them. In verse 8, he says, I robbed other churches taking wages from them to minister to you. Now, before you think about the whole robbing Peter to pay Paul, which I think is kind of ironic, robbed is a very, very strong word translated here, but it really means taking the armor off a dead soldier. Paul tells them that other churches supported him to minister to them because he didn't want to appear as these false teachers that now trouble the church. And you think, how is this even happening? There were other churches that supported me to go to you in Corinth. So, for the very fact that you wouldn't think that I was a false teacher, the same guys that are now charging you and causing trouble in your church. There are enough people out there that are doing that. And I will not. Though the Corinthian Christians should have supported Paul for ministering to their spiritual needs, he was a burden to no one. He says, and when I was present with you, verse 9, and in need... I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything, I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. So Paul, I mean obviously, I think it probably goes without saying, very appreciative of the Macedonian Christians supporting him to be sent out to plant these churches in Corinth. He actually references their generosity in Philippians chapter 4, and you can read that for yourself. See, the Lord supplies the needs of the ministers of the Gospel. And a true minister of the Gospel will never pressure people to financially support them. That is tipping on false teacher. So, beware of other Gospels. Point number two now this morning is beware of false teachers. Beware of false teachers. This is our second and final point. In verse 10, he says, As the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me from boasting in the regions of Achaia. You might think, well, what is he boasting about? Well, he's boasting that he's never charged anybody to hear the Gospel. And what a great thing to be able to boast about. He never made money an issue for whether or not the Gospel would be preached. Now, I can't tell you personally how disheartening it's been when I've called musicians to lead worship. And the very first thing that comes out of their mouth is, what is your budget? 
Now, thank God there's no one here at our church that does that. But over, in the, you know, over the years in the past, I've, I've had people that, that say that. And it really discourages me. Because that's the last time I reach out to a person who asks, what are you going to pay me to come minister to God's people? See, those preaching another Jesus or another Gospel were those that were doing so with selfish motives. See, the Corinthians were buying into the whole status thing with the coolness, the exclusivity, the popularity of the speaker and not the knowledge that that speaker had of God's Word. See, Paul may look unimpressive and uncool, but he delivered the unadulterated and powerful Word of God. And so often, again, when we lean on our own understanding and we're more focused on what the outward looks like, we can get caught up with, hey, what looks good? What's on TV? What's popular? What's the latest trend? What's the fad? We have no concern through, you know, of what's happening in the spiritual realm. We're just concerned of, hey, how does this look and how does this make me look? And do I feel like I'm part of the cool happening thing if I'm there? Stop looking at the outward appearances. Judge with righteous judgment. In verse 10 it says, As the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me from boasting in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you? No, he says, God knows I love you. He does love the church, whether they realize it or not. And he says, but what I do, in verse 12, but what I do, I will also continue to do that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. Opportunists in the church. I've had people, not a lot, but one in particular stands out, who came to me and said, I'd love to attend your church and help out and tithe and support and be involved. If you let me run this ministry, I'd like to run. I have this thing that I do on the side and I really I need kind of like a base of operations for it, so can you let me? And I was like, no, I don't think that's going to work. I don't think that's really a good fit. You know, if you're interested in serving in the church, it's more like, hey, come and be a part of it for a few months. See if this is a place that you really like. See if the pastor bothers you or whatever it might be. You know, and then decide if you want to serve. You know, there are people that are looking for opportunities because they have selfish motives. And that's wrong. That's not what we ought to be doing. And this is what was happening in Corinth. And see, the Corinthians were biting on it. Hook, line, and sinker. Paul was going to continue living his life in such a way that there was a visible difference between him and those that were false prophets. And we say amen to that. There should be a visible difference. There should be a separation. Paul says, I'll cut off the enemy's opportunity to infect the church with worldly thinking so that they may not be able to have anything in the flesh by which they may boast. I'm going to continue to do what's right. And you know what? There may not be a lot of people that think that's cool. There may not be a lot of people that think that's the right thing or popular thing to do, but I need to do what's right before God and they can do whatever they're going to do because they're going to stand before God and give an account for what they have done. And it is better to walk alone with Christ than to walk with a mass of people going in the opposite direction. So stay true to God's Word. Stay true to what you know to be true because it's in God's Word. He says, and Paul's going to speak very, very plainly about those that pervert the Gospel, teach a different Jesus or another Gospel, cause division in the church, and use the ministry for their own gain. He says in verse 13, he says, for such are false apostles, Deceitful workers 
transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. Now, some people in the church today kind of want to, want to ignore the fact that there are still false prophets in the world. Because some of them are extremely popular. They're very popular. You might see their books at Target or whatever, but these men and women, evident by their actions, were never called by the Lord. They were never called by the Lord, but inserted themselves into what they perceived as an opportunity. This was an established church. It was planted by Paul. The foundation was the Gospel. And these men saw a way that they might gain. Paul was now traveling. The church had been given over to elders that weren't at the same spiritual level as Paul in their maturity. And they bought this. It was a lie. It was a lie. Where false teachers take a little bit of the truth or that which the listeners desire to be truth and proclaim it passionately and articulately. Paul calls them false apostles and deceitful workers because Listen, even today, there are men and women in the church behind the pulpit standing up on the stage that are deceiving the people of God. They are proclaiming the Word of God. See, the idea of false prophets goes all the way back to the nation of Israel where you would have a prophet that knew God and he was the Lord's prophet and he would proclaim messages to the kings and to the nations. And then there were other prophets which the Bible says, and there were false prophets that arose that proclaimed what the king wanted to hear. What the people wanted to hear. And they were labeled false prophets. That is still happening today. People teaching the people what they want to hear. Not what God's Word says. That's why you as a Christian open your Bible and know what it says. So if you're visiting someplace, somewhere else, and you start to hear something and you're like, hey, where in the Bible does it say that? Well, you know, actually it doesn't say that in the Bible. You know, and you're like, heresy! Or whatever it might be. You know, it's like, you know what God's Word says. You know what it says. They have no desire to fulfill the law of Christ. Bearing one another's burdens. They're actually adding to the church's burdens. And any time that you have false teachers in the church, there will be a false sense of security in the church due to the lack of Bible teaching. People will be very comfortable in their sin and they'll really feel good about going to the church that tells them what they're doing is okay. They're deceiving God's people. False teachers, I mean, furthermore, they want to keep you away from the Bible. Hey, did anybody bring their Bible today? Yeah, hold it up please. And then put it under your seat. We won't be using that today. They call themselves Christians. They say they've been sent by God, but in actuality, they're doing the work of Satan. Like, man, you are saying some pretty severe things. No, listen, that's not me. This is what we're reading today. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. Now look at verse 14. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. An angel of light. Remember when Paul wrote in Galatia, or to Galatia and Galatians and he said, hey, if we or an angel from heaven preach to you any other gospel than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. You might think, well, what about an angel from heaven? Here's your answer right here. Verse 14. It's no wonder that there are people that will come into a church and transform themselves. Though they have evil motives and doing things that are wrong, they're hurting God's people and they're pretending to be the spiritual leaders because Satan himself can transform himself into an angel of light. They appear to be great people filled with light, but Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Years ago, 
I had a meeting with a man that told me he had taken a ride in a UFO and that he sees them regularly. It was at that point as I was sitting in my office that I began to look for the red button under my desk only to realize that it wasn't there. And he began to explain to me how as he has taken rides in these UFOs that these uh, light beings is what he called them. Uh, speak to him and share things with him that he never knew before. And as he's sitting at my, you know, on the other side of my desk, he looks at my Bible and he says, you know what, the light beings told me that the most dangerous thing in the world to mankind is that book that you have on your desk right there, which is the Bible. I said, you mean the Bible? Yeah, the light beings shared with me that we need to get rid of the Bible in the world. Because this is the most dangerous thing to mankind. And I was listening to this man speak. I thought of the passage in 2 Corinthians. Satan transforming himself as a light being. Because I'll tell you right now, it wasn't a messenger of God that was telling this man that the Bible was the most dangerous thing to mankind. Satan can and does masquerade as a minister of light. And if you think about light, what is the first thing that pops into your mind? Hopefully it's something that you see. Because you don't normally hear light. You usually see light. You don't normally feel light. You can feel heat, but you can't, you, you, you see it. What is that getting at even? You're looking at something that appears to be light. Hey, I see that. And so in my own physical nature, I'm able to determine if that's light or not. When it comes to spiritual things, you cannot lean on your own understanding. You have to look at what God's Word says, even if there's a messenger of quote-unquote light. Oh, it sounds good, but it looks good. It makes me feel good. Those are false apostles, deceitful workers pretending to be something that they're not. And for this reason, we believe in teaching the Bible to people who attend our church. That's why you get, you get a protein-packed meal usually on Sunday. We believe in high protein here. It's the Word of God. Something for you to chew. Something you need to think about. Because when the deceptions arise and you're presented with something that you need wisdom regarding, my prayer is that you personally will have all the tools necessary to discern the will of the Lord. And finally, where we close out this morning in verse 15, he says, therefore, even though Satan can transform himself into a minister of life, there, light, therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. Those that were disturbing the church, Paul calls ministers of Satan. Somebody that's leading someone away from Jesus is of the evil one. These men that had infiltrated the church in Corinth were sent by Satan to lead the people astray. And you know what? Paul's not shocked by this. Nor should we be. This is the reality of the world in which we live. This is the reality for many churches around this world. Where there are people that are having these things constantly taught to them, going into their minds that are completely against God. Yet the harsh reality for these false teachers is that they will be judged according to what they have done. And they always, you know what, it's remarkable because I had a meeting with Pastor David Rosales last week. Really love that guy. He's been a great, great friend over the years. And he said we were talking about issues you know, pertaining to you know, the church at large. And he says, you know, when you're a young guy, you just want to kind of get in there and fight it and make something happen and take care of it right away. And I said, yeah, that's absolutely how I feel often. 
Like, I just want to get in there and fix it. He says, and what you'll see though, is that the Lord has a way of taking care of things that are so much better taken care of than you could ever do. So before you rush into anything, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Wait on Him. And you know the thing in regards to false teachers, somehow they always get exposed. The Lord always reveals them for what they are. And He has a way of dealing with those things. Now, just as a disclaimer, you know, David wasn't saying we don't do anything. You know, we sit by. No, he was just saying the Lord has a way of taking care of these things in such a way that He shows what the truth is from what the lie is. And so when it comes to you and your own spiritual growth, and wherever the Lord may lead you in the future, hopefully church would be a very important part of your personal life and your relationship with the Lord, that you would be in a place where you know God's Word and that you apply it when you leave this place. So beware of other Gospels. Whether they're nice people or not, beware of other Gospels. Beware of false teachers, because often they can be some of the most well-spoken, cool, popular people around. Now, if you happen to be well-spoken and cool and popular and you teach God's Word, well done. But know what God's Word says. Know what God's Word says. Because often we might think, well, you know, there's only one end of the spectrum or another. No, if God created you cool and you love the Lord and you teach the Bible, then good for you. Good job. Keep it up. Alright, so that concludes our study today. We're not going to have a closing song, but what we are going to do is close with prayer. And if you need prayer for anything, our prayer team is available uh, to pray with you after service today. Uh, so avail yourself to that. Men, don't forget Tuesday at the Hendershot, sign up afterwards. We need to send you the address. Um, this is our first one. And then we should be back here in our smaller uh, auditorium. And we'll give you all that info as it arises. It's been a little, uh, a little more challenging, I guess you could say, with the school and the district, with the amount of things that are going on. Um, so thankfully, the Lord took care of all the women last Tuesday. I uh, heard you guys had a great time you know, at the park, and the Lord just worked that out, so praise the Lord. We need to be flexible. My pastor used to always say, blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be broken. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for this day. We thank You, Lord, for Your mercy and Your grace. Lord, help us to know what the truth is, so when the lie presents itself, we see it for what it is. Lord, we pray, God, that You would bless us, bless our families, keep us safe this day, and may we have a great rest of our weekend, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, Amen. God bless you.